We have monthly themes. This month it's about emotional intelligence, feelings, emotions that control center at inside out. I imagine my control center and those feelings that never stop coming. And they come one after the other, unbidden. Oh, this is beautiful, lovely. Oh, I hate that. Oh, that's so disgusting. How dare you say that to me? Do you know what she said? That is the most beautiful sky. It's, you know what, I am pretty damn fine. I'm great, now that you say it. Wait, you were laughing at me. Wait a minute, how dare you laugh? I don't know about you, but that's what it feels like non-stop. There is, my meditation teacher says, we never stop thinking. People often think meditation is about stopping your thoughts. He says, well, yeah, you can stop your thoughts when you're dead. I think that's true of feelings. It's the exact same thing. They come, and I used to think one after the other, but really, to be fair, it's like this. They come in bunches, and you're happy, and then you realize, oh, this isn't going to last forever, and so you're also sad. And I've wondered, so... Why on earth do we have these things that don't stop and that color the world? What's the point? Why do we have them? And and we're often trying to step aside from them and not work out of our anger or our total elation that would overwhelm everyone. What do we why do we why have we evolved to have feelings? What's the point? We come from a tradition that wanted to say over time, you know, feelings really aren't very helpful and that what matters is your rational, logical thoughts. Which is uh, a useful way to think, except those feelings never stop, even when you're trying to be your most logical and rational. So in our particular movement in the Unitarian history of Boston that was pushing up, so we're now in the 1830s, and there is a great religious revival going on in the United States. And the Boston Unitarians say, that is making people behave and think and believe in ways that are not very helpful. And so the Boston Unitarians promoted a religious expression that was founded in logic and reason. And we come back again to that in the next century, but I'm just keeping us in 1830 Boston for the moment. Now, 
And then some transcendentalists, some philosophers, some thinkers, some Unitarian ministers said, wait, just being rational and logical isn't human enough. There's other things going on. It doesn't make room for awe. It doesn't make room for all the feelings. And so my, my, my study of religious history is that it is this continual seesaw between we need to trust our minds and our logic and we need to pay attention to our feelings and to find the balance. And it varies from period to period. So the transcendentalists came in and said, you know what? And it's Emerson who said, Unitarianism is corpse cold in its rational, logical approach to religion. And so wanted to do this. No, what you should be paying attention to are all those ecstatic, amazing, we have this fall, look out this window. How can you not be overjoyed by this nature? How do we balance those two? And I think it's a struggle that we have here in our congregation and, dare I, bring in modern times in our electoral process and how do we balance feelings and thoughts how do we pay attention to those emotions what's our project here as a church how do we deal with all those feelings that come attached to logic and thought I I started reading about, well, actually where I started was, this was supposed to be an animal blessing. And we realized we needed a lot more time to plan, not just worship, but what we would do at 10 o'clock and down in RE. But I'd been doing a lot of reading at the time about animals and feelings. And it's part of that evolutionary question. Our feelings didn't arise out of nowhere. That notion of, well, we evolved from apes and somehow we were the first ones to become feeling creatures. So our emotions came from somewhere and I started reading about evolutionary psychology. Why on earth would we have these emotions that seem fleeting And if you're studying evolution, what you're looking at is what gets held onto from not just generation to generation, but for thousands of years and manages to stay within the species. So why would we have these weird fleeting things? Why would that be evolutionarily helpful and still be here and still be coloring everything we do and say? So... The um, researchers I liked the best come from UC Santa Barbara. And I want to tell you in detail what they talk about. So they're, they're part of an um, evolutionary psychology center, Lita Kosmidis and John Tooby. And here's how they define emotion. And it's actually more like inside out in the weirdest way. It is a, so if we imagine our brain, not just our brain, because we're all connected, but everything as a programmed computer system that's evolved to make us who we are today, 
Emotions aren't some tangential small piece. They're actually the superordinate, the overarching program that directs all our other functions. So think about that a moment. My notion of feelings is most of the time, you know, they're just uh, a sideline. Oh, yeah, that feels good. Wait, I've got this to do. Oh, that feels bad. Well, I'm busy doing... No, 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 no. Our emotions are the overseeing ultimate program. Because we have all these sub-programs, and this is how they're talking about it. Our perception, our attention, our learning, our memory, our goal choices. Those are all little individual programs, and the way they get linked together and used together is by our emotions. Well, that seems contrary because emotions come and go. And evolution is about this long-term thing. So why would something that comes and goes like the wind in a heartbeat in a second, why would evolution, why would we hold on to something that's so fickle, fleeting? And they say, because it is the result of the long-term learning. So grief and playfulness, fascination, guilt, those are all short-term. Well, those with grief would say it's never-ending, which is... But the long-run gain, the evolutionary gain from them, are where we get our knowledge and where we recalibrate our motivations... I think I'm going this way, but oh, oh, there is a, a tiger headed this way, so no, I'm not. I'm going this way. My fear makes me change. So it recalibrates and teaches us um, knowledge. Yeah. And they make the point again that the emotions affect every single one of the things that we learn over time. So they are evolutionary in the sense that they too are information-gathering systems. We tend to think of learning as more academic rote and that emotions are not part of that information-gathering. And oh, yes, it is. So they talk about our brain and and architecture as being um, so many different modes. And it's the emotion that pull them together and say, you, you arm, need to do this first. Eyes, you need to listen. Hear. Eyes, you need to see. Ears, you need to listen. And it's the emotion that put those things in order for us. And the example, one example, is fear. So say you're in a situation that involves stalking, an ambush, back to our days of being hunters and gatherers. And all of a sudden, you realize something is coming to you. And so that fear, that overarching fear, does a whole bunch of things. All of a sudden, you begin to hear with more clarity. And you go, is that, is that a rustling of the wind? Or is that someone rustling the leaves, coming to me, about to attack me? You know what? I was starving, but <laughs> the thought of being attacked... 
I've forgotten how hungry I am. And I was kind of looking for a new mate, but that no longer is my priority either. And I begin to think in a way I hadn't, where is my, where are my sibling? Where is my family? So my emotion of fear has begun to lock into place these series of other aspects of my brain and information gathering. So what's that got to do with us? Well, kind of everything. Because I think we mislabel and misunderstand what our feelings are about. And we tend to be dismissive rather than closely paying attention to them and knowing that they affect every single thing that we think about and do. And all those times we think we're being rational as we're trying to sort through our theology and our worldview, we have to always be considering that emotions are overseeing that all. Janet read our um, mission statement, but our other... No, those were our goals. Vision. Our mission statement doesn't list anything about feelings. It's all about rational, logical things. Which is a healthy... This church was founded in contrast to, so like the 1830s, there was a big revival in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in the United States of a certain kind of charismatic religion. And so this church was founded in this part of town as a rebuttal and a response and a push against that kind of purely emotive religious response. And I'm saying we have to find a balance because if we reject emotion, if we say, I'm going to make decisions without them, I'm going to have a theology that ignores them, I think your theology and what you believe is based on um, not enough. I'll put it that way. It's too thin. It's not... The one thing that we do value is being as real and truthful as possible. So to best understand who we are as human beings and how we get along as a community, then we have to take into account not only our own feelings, but understand that everyone here is driven by these overarching, superordinate programs. My experience in my brain is it's not one little emotion at a time. They're all in there, (laughs) nudging each other and pounding on things. And the spiritual work we do and the intellectual work we do is to begin to pay as much attention to those because we often mislabel them. I feel like I'm one thing when I really am if I dig deeper. So our point is to make a place where it's safer, to begin to dig beneath your reactions and go, oh, I lashed out, but you know what I really am? I'm really hurt and angry. You know what? I'm grieving, but you know what I really am? I am so deeply in love with this person that they're being gone has totally reoriented my world and I have to figure out how to love how to love and have joy with this grief 
that seems overwhelming. So that's my assignment for us this week. I want us to pay attention to all those feelings as they come and begin to try and label them. It's, it's harder than it sounds. And to notice when you react, what did you react out of? What's, what's this layer? And then what's right underneath it? Because emotional intelligence is A, acknowledging that you have this whole rainbow of feelings and that they are in control, the superordinate program. And then learning how to recognize them and go, oh, you know what, I'm really angry at you, but if I yell at you, it won't be as effective than if I sit with it, figure out why I'm angry, what I really want to say to you that could make a difference. So I'm asking us to work on being emotionally intelligent and notice our feelings this week. May it be so. We um, are not going to sing Spirit of Life. Instead, we have our offering. Goes to Global Gardens this, this month. We 